Hey, welcome back to the single track. On the pod with us today, we are fortunate to have one of the most important, most influential people in the sport of mountain ultra trail running. We get to figuratively sit down with Dylan Bowman. Now, his list of athletic accolades make up a seemingly never-ending scroll down ultra sign up. He's won the San Diego 100. He's won the Ultra Trail Mount Fuji and Tarawira. He's been a podium finisher at Western States. He put together a seventh place finish at the 2017 UTMB, which I think most pundits recognize as probably the most competitive ultra of all time in the history of our sport. And most recently, he's coming off a second place finish at the 2021 Hard Rock 100, where he ran the fastest time ever by an American athlete. So he is still at the top of his game from a performance standpoint, but as you will find in this conversation, Dylan is on another mission now too, and that's to shepherd this sport into its next iteration, the next generation. We talk about this new role in a number of different ways. We start with his new business pillars, his opportunity to take on a broadcasting role, providing live coverage at the 2021 Western States 100 and upcoming at the 2021 UTMB. We talk about his thoughts on being a pro athlete in the sport and what can be done in the future to create more opportunity and sustainability there. We talk about the future of this sport in general and what it might look like a decade from now and how we're going to get there. And finally, we even wax philosophical as Dylan talks about being a creator and a change maker in the sport and his strategies for confronting and overcoming the inevitable resistance. In addition to being well-spoken, I think what inspires me the most about Dylan is his sense of responsibility, his accountability to the sport, and the clear vision he has for what the sport could evolve into. I think you'll hear that too in this conversation. It just gets better and better as the minutes tick by. I think you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, please welcome the Shred Monk, the perpetuator of Stoke, the one and only Dylan Bowman. Dylan Bowman, welcome to uh, the Single Track Podcast. It's great to have you on. Hey, Finn. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no worries. So I wanted to have you on the pod, A, because I'm a huge fan of your athletic background, but you've built this incredible thing at Pillars. Um, you're building a business around the sport. I also think probably more interestingly, you're thinking about the future of the sport and the contribution you can make to leave it better than you found it. And I think that there should be more of you in our sport. So hopefully our conversation today inspires more people to take a similar route and to think about the effect they have um, when it's all said and done. So yeah, I think we should lead with what I think is breaking news on your end. And that is the fact that you are all in on pillars. Can you talk about that announcement a little bit and about the business and how it got started and where you see it going, all that? Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Finn. It's uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on and giving me an opportunity to talk about what we're working on. And yeah, glad to see you now with the show. And uh, I think it's going to be really cool. Looking forward to seeing what you provide to the conversation too. But 
Again, yeah, I'm Dylan Bowman. I live here in Portland, Oregon. And to your question, yeah, I founded a business just this past year that's called Pillars. We are the first and only training app for trail and ultra runners. But more than that, we're also a media company. So I have a podcast myself called the Pillars Podcast. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that we're putting a lot of work and effort into now as well. And I guess more generally, our mission as a company is to help take the sport of trail and ultra running and take it to the next level, push it into the next generation, be innovative, be future forward, but also be true to the values, to the culture, and to the spirit of the sport at all times. So I have been a professional runner myself for the last 12 years or so. I'm 35 now, still very much feel motivated to train and compete at a high level for as long as my body allows me to and for as long as my motivation remains the same. But definitely now, uh, as I've aged and matured and been involved with the sport for such a long time, I'm much more interested now in helping to shepherd the sport into the next generation to help pass the baton to the next generation in a way that that will allow the professional athletes to be well supported, um, to tell the story of the sport, which I think is so incredible and exactly what the world needs at this particular moment and time, mm. uh, but also to ensure that the values and the culture of the sport is preserved in the next generation. So that's kind of the, the mission of what we're doing now. And yes, I have made the decision to leave <laughs> A long time, very stable career. Uh, I've been working in sales for a sports technology company now for the last nine years. My colleagues are all dear friends of mine, uh, people who I have a lot of respect and admiration for, people who I've loved working with. Um, but it, uh, having worked on pillars on the side in our content, it just brings me so much joy, man. And I have so much fun doing what I'm doing now that the insecurity that I feel about losing the steady income of my career and the stability that it provided as well is uh, mitigated by a deep enthusiasm and a deep confidence in what we're doing right now. And just that feeling of joy and purpose that I'm getting from it. So yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. If you want me to talk a little bit more about, you know, the app or whatever, I can go into a little bit more detail. Uh, but that's generally where I am now in my life and really looking forward to the future. I dig it. And I'm a proud supporter. And I got to say, I'll, I'll, I'll plug it right now. There's a Patreon page too. So if you can go, if you find value in what Dylan does, I know I do. Uh, I'll plug the Patreon page as well as uh, becoming a premium subscriber on the app as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think the first thing that I want to dig into is any immediate gaps in, let's call it the ultra running market, you think pillars can fill. And then long term, like give moonshot ideas for pillars. Like, what does this ultimately evolve into 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Like, what are you thinking? So I'll take the first part of the question first, and that is what we're trying to fill in the market. It's my opinion that this sport should be more approachable in general. Of mm. course, 
in the U.S. especially, where trail running and ultra running are mostly synonymous, where people who come into the sport are immediately introduced to 100-mile racing, I think it can be a little bit intimidating, and I think that constrains the growth of the sport. And I think the growth of the sport is good, okay? So that's yes. an important thing to say at the front here. I think we share the, the same the view. sport is good because the sport changes lives, and I think the more people we have in the sport, the more we can use the culture and the values of the sport to change their lives and to make them better human beings who contribute better in their own lives and their own relationships. Um, and we'll, like I said, we have the first and only training app in the sport of trail and ultra running. And what I'm trying to do with this is find a happy medium between one-on-one -on -one coaching and generic training plans, right? So effectively what we're trying to do is democratize information that will help people come into the sport and be successful. So within the app, we have things like training plans, nutrition modules, strength and movement exercises, meditation, breath work, yoga. And we have a lot of uh, ideas about how we're going to expand and continually add to this library. But at the same time, we also have a very forward oriented community function within the app. And that's really the core of everything that we're trying to do. And so where most one-on-one -on -one coaching relationships are just that, you know, you speak with your coach on the phone, you'd exchange emails. Maybe if you live in the same city, you get together once in a while. Um, this is meant to be much more focused on learning from everybody to make it very collaborative, to make it very community oriented. And so every week we do a Zoom call with our subscribers of the app where they can ask questions, where we can talk about training, where we host spec special guests who have expertise in different fields that are relevant to performing well in trail running and so that we can all learn together, right? So instead of paying your coach 150, 250 bucks a month, or instead of buying a training plan for whatever it costs, a hundred dollars and, you know, not getting any guidance um, beyond that, we're trying to find a space in the middle there where we can give people the tools and information that they need to be successful at a price point that we think is approachable to almost everybody. And for those who can't afford the app, I should say now uh, it's $120 a year. So $10 a month to be a premium subscriber of our app and to have access to this community stuff and all this information. Um, so $10 a month to, you know, give people as much information as we feel that they need in order to be successful in this sport. Um, and having, uh, a sort of a coaching type relationship with them where they can always reach out and ask questions within our app or on email or however they want to get in touch with us. And we're happy to answer any and all questions that come up. Um, but also, you know, doing it in such a way to where it can scale and where we can provide service to everybody. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. And for those who uh, do want to kind of be part of it, but can't afford the $10 a month, we do give away subscriptions for free all the time. So that's also a really important thing for me awesome. and something that uh, I really believe in, in terms of helping the sport grow and democratizing the support and just help making the sport more approachable so that it can grow. Awesome. And in terms of moonshot ideas, I mean, you have a lot of irons in the fire in this sport. Obviously, you're a, a notable athlete. You've done the live coverage of Western States, which we'll dig into in a little bit. 
does this business start to become an umbrella for a lot of different pieces in our sport? Like, are there, what, what are you thinking about when you think of like, I want to go for something really big. I mean, what you're doing already is huge, but um, the, the tech person in me is always thinking like, how does this thing scale into something crazy? You know? Well, uh, Finn, I have to be somewhat cryptic because I do have big moonshot ideas for what we want to do in the future. And what I will say is that I think with the stuff that we plan to do in the next 12 to 18 months, say, it's going to surprise people. You know, we are thinking bigger than just what we have out in the world now. And I can't talk in great detail about that, but we really do want to make a difference in the sport and we want to use the sport to make a difference in the world. One of the things that we've done, we've done recently that I'm very excited about is we launched a second podcast within our sort of mm. pillars network, a, trail, a show called Trail Society. This is a show that's hosted by Keely Henninger, uh, Corinne Malcolm, and Hillary Allen. It's a roundtable format. It's science-oriented based on all of their backgrounds as scientists. Uh, it has a lot of, uh, yeah, sort of coaching dynamics to it because of the you know, the fact that both Hillary and Corinne are coaches and obviously it's at least moderately, um, sort of focused on the experience of female athletes. Uh, I am so excited about this show and for the potential that these three women have to make a big difference in our sport as well. So that's an example of something that, um, I really, uh, am excited about and proud of is helping to also lift the voices of, intelligent individuals in the sport who are similarly passionate about the future. And one of the things that I'll say to Finn is that I feel like the sport is always reluctant to change. Whenever somebody tries to do something in trail running, that's a little bit different. People get really scared and oftentimes really upset about it. And there's some examples of this that we don't necessarily need to go into, but that's what I want to do. I want to try stuff. I want to do things. I want to innovate and I want to push and take, take swings. And so there's a lot of other things beyond just media, digital stuff that uh, yeah. I'm interested in, but I can't, I can't, can't talk about uh, a lot of it quite yet. And I actually want to revisit uh, that pushback conversation later on. But the last thing I want to talk about on this topic here is when I think of ways to make it in this sport, I really think of four buckets. The first is being a pro athlete. The second is running some sort of retail store. Uh, the third is coaching. And then the fourth is race directing. You went the tech route, which is really interesting. And it's interesting to me because there really isn't a playbook for it in this sport. Like you don't really have that many mentors to turn to for like how things work, how you're going to build this thing. So where do you get your inspiration? Like, who are you looking to, uh, for like, just like business model inspiration. Dude, I'm so glad you asked this because it's really important. And I think something that is relevant beyond just my personal experience, I'm really lucky to have the network of people that I do. Um, in fact, the whole app concept um, sort of came to me through a good friend of mine who I've had on the podcast in the past. His name is Brett Jackson. He's a venture capitalist based in Boulder, Colorado. I grew up with him. Um, when we were kids, he made a million dollars when we were in high school uh, because he was one of the early employees at Crocs footwear. Yeah. 
And, you know, this is when we're 16, 17 years old, and he has gone on to be a phenomenally successful business person. And he, in fact, we were supposed to talk yesterday. He had to cancel last minute, but he and I talk regularly about business, about what he's doing with his fund, about what I'm doing within sport. And we always like, it's a, it's a really fun thing for both of us. And this is why we do it regularly because we're always like, like I can learn a lot from him about what I'm trying to do. And then similarly with his businesses and his founders that he works with, he feels that there's a lot of overlap, you know, with what athletes go through and what business people founders go through. And that's certainly been my experience as well. Uh, similarly within kind of like the running industry side of things, this is also something I'm really interested in just outdoor industry, right. um, what brands are doing, things like that. Um, I have a handful of mentors on that side of things too, who have been within that space, mostly on, you know, with, uh, footwear, apparel, equipment brands, whereas we're obviously at this point, very, uh, focused on digital things. Uh, still those people are very helpful for guiding my decision-making about where to allocate my resources financially and my energy and my attention. And so, yes, uh, mentorship is a very, very important thing. And I've been very lucky to have great relationships and friendships with people who are uniquely talented and uniquely experienced within the industry that I ultimately want to make my career within, which is the outdoor industry in general, but more specifically trail and ultra running. So the point is, one of the things that I think is just so important in life is developing nurturing relationships with people because mm. you never know where they're going to go and many of the people who i'm referencing now you know started as just friends you know brett jackson is a great example we grew up you know partying together being idiots and then we were in high school as 16 year olds right and now right. we're very uh focused on extremely different things but there's an overlap to them and we can really learn from each other and so that's just a, a thing that I like to stress is just the importance of developing, nurturing relationships with people, not burning bridges, finding common ground and uh, yeah, not, not being adversarial, which I think is sometimes a knee jerk reaction in the internet age. Um, and that goes back to sort of like people resisting change, resisting innovation. Uh, so yeah, that would be something that I would certainly recommend to the listeners is just focus on your relationships. And it's, it, yeah, it's interesting the pushback that people who want to create get, like there's like a bias towards people. I don't know. It's, it's, we can, we'll, we'll touch on it in a minute, but <laughs> I, this is going to be a good theme. I can tell. I do want to pivot just for a second uh, to the live coverage that you hosted at the 2021 Western States 100, as well as your upcoming similar gig at UTMB, which honestly, I, I mean, I'll be there, so I'll, I'll see you. Oh, but okay. um I'm excited for this too. So could you talk about how the opportunity presented itself to do what you did at Western States? Um, maybe reflect on like the high level experience, dig into what worked well, what you want to improve on, um, maybe ways this is going to expand in Chamonix uh, later this month. Yeah. So uh, just first of all, the live stream coverage of Western States and my 
opportunity to contribute to it was absolutely one of the highlights of my entire career. It was the funnest day ever. I just had an absolute blast. It gave me so much joy. And it's something that I have been desperate for, for my entire career. I am probably the world's biggest sports fan outside of trail and ultra running. I follow uh, and pay attention to basically every other sport under the sun and have just uh, always wanted to consume that type of content. And I always kind of waited for somebody else to make it happen. And I think because I've been a lifelong sports fan, a lifelong consumer of uh, sports media, sports podcasts, sports radio. Uh, Bill Simmons. It, just, it comes naturally to me. Bill Simmons, exactly. Yeah, I've been listening to Bill for more than a decade now and reading what he writes and things too. And also on the entrepreneurial front, he's been a big inspiration for me with The Ringer and leaving ESPN. And yeah. um, anyway, the, the way the opportunity came about was I was approached by the board, specifically Billy Yang, who's a new addition to the Western States 100 board and who was responsible for organizing this live stream coverage in year one. That's obviously fell within his portfolio of responsibilities as a new board member. I think that's probably one of the reasons why they identified him as a potentially great recruit for the board is so that he could help with the digital media side of things. Um, And I have to say he did a great job and the whole board did an amazing job in the months leading up to the race. We probably had, a, a dozen Zoom conversations. There was a lot of uh, preparation, a lot of meetings to make sure that we had the right vision for what we were trying to do and could execute it appropriately. And then it just came down to turning the cameras on and letting Corinne and I tell the story of this sport and of the race. And Corinne and I have been friends for a while. She's somebody who I really respect and admire, uh, but we had never collaborated on something like this before. We had never rehearsed anything before going live on Western States morning. And I think for the both of us, it was just total flow state from the earliest, uh, yeah, from the first minute of recording. I was just having an absolute blast the entire day. The race was dramatic and exciting. There was a lot to talk about and it gave me and Corinne the opportunity to preach the gospel of the sport. And I think this is now going to be the model that races have to adopt if they want to be relevant in the scene. It'll take time to evolve to that point, but it's my opinion that this is the key for the sport to move to the next level is to have these live broadcasts of the race where we can tell the story of the spirit of the sport and touch humans wherever they are in life and inspire them to try something similar. And I think once this becomes the norm and people start doing it more, the growth of the sport is going to be exponential because it is so special and it's so inspiring. And with the right storytelling, with the right team to tell that story Mm. to the general public, I think, uh, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, it's just such a a special thing. It becomes a total obsession. It becomes a lifestyle quickly. So that's what Western States was all about. And I just got my marching orders from UTMB this week about uh, the schedule 
for my commentary duties over there. And it is quite uh, in depth. And in other words, I'll be doing a lot of talking over there. I should probably give my voice a rest uh, in the next <laughs> few days, but I'm really looking forward to it. And obviously UTMB, uh, they've done great live coverage in the past. So, and I've helped with that just uh, here, here and there, just kind of like one-off opportunities to sit in for hours at a time. But I think this year I'll have more responsibilities, more time on the mic. And again, my number one objective is just to make the sport more approachable, more understandable, to tell the stories of the pro athletes in the sport, because I think that's something I'm also very passionate about and uh, something that I think is really powerful to the general public but also to uh, especially emphasize the spirit of the sport, why it's special and why people should try it. Um, so yeah, it's been really fun. And again, I think this is the wave of the future and it's going to be the thing that ultimately helps the sport reach the next level. Awesome. And I have a lot of non-running friends, but they understand other sports. And when I told them that I was interviewing you, they were like, okay, who is this guy? I'm like, well, he's like the Tony Romo of ultra running, like a great <laughs> athlete, but he hops in the announcing booth and he might even be better there. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, okay. So one thing I'm curious about there is how does this relationship uh, from a media standpoint map to the event? Like, are you being contracted by the event to do this? Or like, do, is there like a separate media company? Like, and how does that evolve over time? like, like a CBS, ABC kind of thing versus like the event, just like contracting you independently. So I'm still very new to all this stuff. And it's something I think about a lot of like, okay, well, where, where is this going? Is it streaming on YouTube? Is it streaming on the internet? Is it our T or TV rights actually in the question here? Is this something mm. that they're going to stream on Peacock? Like they did the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and so, so for right now, yeah, it's me personally, I talk to the races and we organize it that way that I obviously have thought about, okay, do we make this part of our business, right. like a service that we can provide? And there's a few reasons why I don't necessarily feel that that's going to be a good use of my time to try and build that right now. Okay. Um, but I mean, it is something that I really want to do, uh, for certain races, uh, like Western States, like UTMB. And yeah, so right now it's just, I, I, um, interact with the, the organization themselves and, um, and yeah, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Uh, if this is something that I end up pursuing more seriously and it does, escalate to the point where it's streaming on other yeah. platforms, then yeah, it, it probably becomes a little bit more of a high level negotiation. And, uh, but yeah, again, it's something that I'm really passionate about that I would do for free. And, uh, that uh, brings me a lot of joy. Awesome. And one more thing on this topic before we, uh, pivot a little bit, I'm curious, like what elements of the format you thought worked really well at Western States, what you want to expand on, leave behind. Is there like an evolution of like a, like a sideline reporter equivalent in this sport? Um, do drones get involved? Like, how do you see this playing out in the next couple of years with like, you know, improved technology, et cetera? Yeah. So the, the main constraint at Western States this year was bandwidth issues, just because of the fact that there's limited cell reception on most of the course. 
you don't have as much opportunity to have cameras on athletes like they have at UTMB, where they pretty much will have a camera on the leader from the start of the race to the finish in both the men's and women's races and often the top three. Um, and that's evolved over time too. And UTMB's production has improved exponentially in the last five years. And Western States, I think next year is going to be even better because there were some key learnings, even though it was wildly successful right. and the metrics bore it out that it, we delivered a, an amazing product, right. it's going to get better. And I'm not great on the technical side of things, but they are working, I think, on some things that would allow us to have better connectivity in areas that don't have cell receptions, whether it's satellites or you know, like satellite backpacks, I think they have now that would allow you to access the more remote sections of the course. Um, but overall, that was the biggest challenge. And for me, I think that's the biggest opportunity for investment, because I think it is really powerful to actually have cameras on athletes. And most of the day with Corinne, we just kind of had to filibuster, you know, just talked <laughs> ad nauseum and refreshed our internet feed of yeah. ultralive.net and I run Far's Twitter feed and just provided updates like that. We were just trying to aggregate as much information and, and then just share it uh, with the viewing audience. And it was, again, a, a huge success in year one. Um, there's a couple small things that we plan to tweak next time. For example, like the finish line interviews that we did with the top five men and women on the track. I think what we're going to try and do next year is send either Corinne and I down and keep the other person in the booth so that yeah. we can then pass it straight back to the booth after the interview so that that person can then give updates on what's happening in the race. Because I felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect there when finishers were coming in rapidly right. or doing interviews on the track. Then we lost the ability to provide updates from the booth as well. Um, so that's just a, a couple of things that we think uh, we can improve on in next year's Western States coverage. But overall, it was a huge, huge success. We got uh, just incredible feedback on it. Again, it was one of the funnest days of my entire career, and I didn't run a, run a step that day. And uh, UTMB, I think, is going to be a better viewing experience just because it's going to have better connectivity and we'll have a better view into the actual dynamics of the professional races. Um, and again, I think this is the wave of the future. And obviously UTMB and Western States are on the leading edge as they always are and everything. I couldn't agree more. So I want to pivot to another topic. This is a topic that I have been long fascinated by. You've been a North Face athlete, I think for the better part of the last decade. I think a lot of the listeners, myself included, are curious to know what it's like to be a pro athlete in this sport uh, from a lifestyle standpoint and also a training standpoint. So to dig into that, like, what resources you have access to, what you're lacking, uh, what is coming down the pipeline in terms of improved relationships, uh, what you think is going to be available to like the next generation of ultra runners that, you know, athletes like yourself might not have had coming up. Uh, could you dig into that a little bit? Yeah. And this is another thing that I like to talk about a lot. So thanks for bringing it up. One of the things that I think is really important for people to understand is that this is a really hard way to make a living. You know, on mm. Instagram, it looks 
like the best life you could ever imagine, right? If, especially right now, everybody's right. over in Chamonix. When you're scrolling through Instagram, it's like, wow, being a professional trail runner is just like the easiest thing in the world. But of course, nobody's getting rich. Not a single athlete is getting rich in this sport outside of maybe a handful of very high profile transcendent athletes who are bigger than the sport themselves. Right. And we all know who those people right. are. And still, if you compare it to real ath athletes from traditional sports, they're highly undercompensated. And I think these athletes are the most incredible human beings with so much value to provide to the general public from a lifestyle and a philosophical perspective. Mm. I think the heroic things that the professional athletes achieve in this sport, while usually balancing at least full or at least part-time, but oftentimes full-time jobs, oftentimes with families and real life responsibilities is so cool. And I want the best athletes in the world to be famous people. I think right. if you look at, for example, the winner of the Tour de France and compare it, or even maybe like somebody who finishes kind of top 10 in the GC at the Tour de France, that person probably has hundreds of thousands of uh, Instagram followers, is probably paid millions of dollars a year. Hmm and clearly works very hard and is a talented athlete and should be a, uh, compensated as such. It is my hope that in the next generation or the generation after that, the best trail runners in the world are similarly compensated and similarly recognized for the incredibly talented human beings that they are. At the same time, obviously, as I've said, couple of times now it's so important to maintain the spirit and culture and values of the sport and i think that's possible right i think the increase in attention uh to the sport will bring more revenue into the sport will make the best athletes more valuable to their sponsors potentially might lead to things like appearance fees bigger bonuses and opportunities for sponsorship outside of our endemic universe of outdoor industry. And that's what I would really like to see. But it's right now, it's a really hard way to make a living. And mm -hmm. we should all recognize that fact. I, 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 that's one of the things that I like to do in my podcast is like, we talk about the real stuff that these athletes go through. And obviously having been a pro athlete myself for a long time, I understand the highs and lows and I understand the times that it's really hard. And I understand also what it feels like to feel on top of the world. Like you could never describe the levels of joy that you can achieve uh, when everything goes perfectly. Right. But also dealing with injury, dealing with the insecurity of losing sponsorship and therefore a big part of your livelihood and your a big part of your identity is a really hard thing. And you're constantly thinking about that, about like, how am I going to make my life work over the long term? Because also there's a, 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 a clock that's ticking in the back of our heads as we age and 
right. as our bodies change and as our motivation maybe changes. And so being a pro athlete in any sport is tremendously difficult, even though it seems like the best job ever. It's really hard. It's still a real job. And, um, especially in our sport where people are trying to be pro athletes while being professionals in other mm. industries, I mean, it's, it's just a really hard thing to do. And that's one of the reasons why, uh, it's really important, I think, to tell the stories of these athletes. And that's what I do basically 100% of the time on my podcast. And there's a lot to unpack there. I think one thing as a fan that I'm curious about, because I hear this on in a lot of interviews with top athletes, male and female, it seems from my point of view that there is a, a unique amount of hesitation to go full-time into this sport. Like I've heard a lot of top athletes say, despite resources, I actually prefer to have a job on the side, which to me, when I think of pro athletes in other sports sounds preposterous because this is a full-time investment. And like, I think selfishly, like how many great performances are we missing out on because they don't have that chance to go full-time. So could you talk a little bit about maybe the hesitation, you know, more about that hesitation to really go all in on this as an athlete? Well, it's because of the fact that the contracts just aren't big enough. You know, yeah. I, have two of the best sponsors in the world in the North face and right. Red Bull. Right. I've always kept a full-time job on the side until now, as we just okay. talked about yeah, taking, yeah. taking the leap. And, you know, I, I am so thankful for the support that, that I've received, but as a 35 year old <laughs> person who has bills to pay and who has to think more long-term about my life and my family and what we're doing and all that stuff. Again, nobody's getting rich off the sport. Yeah. And I, I think there's definitely value in having something else to be focused on outside of pure athletics. And I think every athlete, even if they don't have a part-time job or a full-time job, should have something that they do just for themselves that also takes up a lot of their time and energy. That's something that is different that they can focus on that gives them a different sense of purpose and identity. Because if you put all of that only in your athletic performance, it's a precarious situation that's right. sure to lead to a lot of pain at some point. Um, but my feeling is that in the next generation, we'll see a lot more athletes being able to be full-time professionals. Um, and that's because I think they're going to be compensated better by their sponsors. Okay. But to those athletes also, it's going to be very important for them to have something else, you know, start a podcast, do a YouTube, figure out a uh, you know, uh, something else that you might be doing creatively, making music or uh, learning how to code or writing, all those sorts of things that will take up time and energy that will take your mind off performance and overall make you a more well-rounded, balanced person, uh, I think are important to keep in your life. And, uh, but at the same time, Yes, I think at, when athletes aren't having to get their training done at five o'clock in the morning in order to then put a suit and tie on and go work for 10 hours, right. um, 
the performances will get better. Awesome. I got two more questions here. Uh, in a recent uh, Pillars episode, uh, it was your Hard Rock recap. You talked about how the key to longevity in this sport is to not be greedy. It's to not be impatient. It's to not chase that high level of intensity so often. And that was like beautiful. Loved it. But it seems to contradict what a lot of athletes do in our sport, which is race like five to six times a year. So my question here is, do you think we're going to see a transition where the top athletes in our sport race less? You see them look more like elite marathoners where they're doing like two races a year. Maybe they're peaking in the spring, peaking in September for UTMB. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think right now, most of the best athletes are usually only peaking twice in a year anyway. But I think five or six races in a calendar year is achievable Hmm. so long as two of them are the most important priorities and the other three to four are maybe a little bit less uh, of a priority or more of a, a training stimulus rather than a true go to the bottom of the well type stimulus. And I think it'll be more similar to, I mean, road cycling is not the right example, maybe mountain biking or even like surfing um, where, yeah, you, you train for a while um, and, or like skateboarding. Yeah. Like you, you train for a while, you have sort of the B tier races for the professionals. So things like Lake Sonoma or like Lavarado or ultra trail Cape town, things like that, uh, where the level of competition is a little bit lower, um, where the level of attention is a little bit lower, uh, but then having races like UTMB and Western States where the best athletes peak at the same time and it's a true championship level race. And it'll be really interesting to see now what happens with the new UTMB World Series because I think this is going to provide a lot of consolidation mm. to the competitive end of the sport and it'll allow people to race uh, 50k, 100k, 100 mile, especially those types of distances at different times of the year too. And obviously it'll allow people with different skill sets to compete underneath the same series umbrella, which I think is a really good thing for the sport. But overall, I think we've been through the acute period of overtraining syndrome and we learn mm. from it as a mm. sport, not to say that it won't ever come back and right. that people won't deal with that into the future, probably forever to some degree. But yes, the key to longevity in the sport is to not get greedy because you really can burn yourself out and you can set yourself back in to a point where it takes years to recover as we've seen a couple of times in the history of the sport with some of the best athletes. And that's definitely something that we should avoid in the next generation. And people like me can really help the next generation to understand that. Um, but I think still what makes our sport better than something like marathoning is that you can compete more often without 
or and still be competitive mm. right and that because you have different distances too you can be a little bit more versatile too so you can use a 50k race to get in shape for a 100k race which then maybe gets you in shape for a 100 mile race mm. and then you take a break and then maybe you build back to 100k later in the year and so you can have sort of sub goals leading into a bigger goal and as so long as you allow yourself to recover in between both physically and psychologically um you know, that the trail is, is a bit more forgiving and, um, yeah, with, with the proper recovery, um, you know, you can do, you can do a handful of races a year, but really yeah, your point is well taken in that when you're at your peak, peak top best performances, that's only possible one or two times a year. Okay, cool. A lot to think about there. So the last question that I want to talk about in this section uh, you are coming off, uh, I think, the greatest American performance ever to Hard Rock 100, and you're 35. So you're, you know, as an athlete, you're getting up there. I'm curious. W- one thing that's been peculiar about this sport to me is uh, the re- the track record of success for people who are in their mid to late 30s, their 40s, even their 50s. I mean, Jeff Browning comes to mind. Darcy comes to mind. Um, do you think as this sport evolves? there will still be people like them, um, yourself as well, uh, competing at an elite level. Is that going to phase out? Or do you think we're entering into this era kind of across the board where like, uh, you know, you have the Tom Brady's, the LeBron James of the world. where like, we have all this new awareness, this new technology, and we're extending our bodies kind of prime years. Both. So this is something I think about a lot too. And yes, there, well, so if you look at the Tour de France, too, yeah. the, the uh, Pogachar, who's won the last two Tour de France's, he's like 22 years old. Before he won, it was Egon Bernal, a Colombian rider who was 21 when he won. And of course, this is a 21-day, super long endurance event. And the best performers now are in their early 20s, at least over the last three Tour de France's, which is crazy and scary to those of us who are in our mid thirties. Yeah. But I think it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. And you're right to point out people like Tom Brady and LeBron James. And as I've learned in my mid thirties, it does take more commitment to maintain your peak physical performance capabilities when you're in this period of your life than it is when you're in your early to mid twenties, it's, you can recover a lot quicker when you're in your twenties, having a couple beers doesn't have the same consequences when you're in your twenties. If you have a bad night's sleep in your twenties, it doesn't have the same consequences. And when you're in your thirties, um, you have to be more disciplined, but typically with age, you are forced to mature anyway. And so I have definitely been, I don't know, a little bit self-conscious about aging, I think for my entire career. Um, it especially before I got injured in 2019 and sort of had my existential I- personal identity right. crisis about like, oh my goodness, that what am I gonna do when I'm not a pro athlete anymore? Um, I've, I've mostly gotten over that and I am now focused on how to be disciplined like Tom Brady. And even though I'm not, not quite at his level, I still have a beer every once in a while. 
Um, but how can I be more disciplined? How can I extend this period of where I still feel like I'm in my prime and, um, how can I use my experience and my maturity to my advantage over people who are younger and probably more talented. And I think in this sport too, discipline and maturity are so important because there's Mm. so much that goes into the ultimate, uh, rank at the finish line and the placements in the results chart than your talent and your age. It's about execution. It's about maturity. It's about toughness and grit and discipline. And that comes with age. So I think we'll continue to see, uh, good athletes performing who are disciplined into their mid late thirties. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if we ever see somebody like Rob Carr win Leadville in a ridiculous time. when I think he was, he was either 39 or 40, I think when he ran under 16 hours at Leadville. And, uh, I think, you know, it's uh, when you, when you match the discipline with the talent with somebody like Rob Carr, those types of things are going to continue to be possible. Mm. I want to delve into one last subject, uh, project out into the future here for the sport, and then we can do a, a lightning round. So let's say for a moment that we're looking out a decade to the end of the 2020s, what do you think will look very different about our sport? What do you think will stay the same? Um, what will we gain in the process? What will we lose in the process? Like, you know, we're, we're undergoing these seismic shifts, I feel like, in our sport right now. You've talked about it a lot. Um, talk about what, like, our sport looks like in 2029. Unfortunately, one of the things that scares me is that I think that most of the development of the sport over the next 10 years is going to take place outside of North America, just based Mm. on the fact, because of the fact that we don't have as many opportunities to host incredible, super professional, high profile races with thousands of participants where in Europe, you can do that quite often. And in Asia, you can do that. And in Europe, the sport is definitely bigger already in that there's more casual awareness and casual fans in the general public than there are here in the U.S. when people still, when they find out what I do, say, I don't even like to drive that far. Um, So that's one thing that I keep my eye on is like, okay, how can we ensure that as the sport develops and matures and professionalizes that we can keep some opportunities in North America? Most of the North or most of the big endemic brands in trail running are North American based. If you think about the North Face and Hoka. Mm. Um, you know, even Adidas, I mean, Adidas is a European brand, but ultra, yeah, ultra, yeah. uh, Nike and, and then you've got Solomon obviously in Europe sort of holding down that side of, uh, that side of the world. Um, but I think that's going to be interesting is like with this new world series and with the professionalization of the sport, where do the most high profile events take place? Are there going to be some of them here in the U S? Cause I think right now we, we lack a 
UTMB style race in the US. And I think that we deserve one, that we need one. Western States is Western States. It'll always be incredibly important. It's such a phenomenal event. It's so well run. It's so well organized from Craig Thornley, the race director, the entire board. They think creatively. They're never stuck in inertia. They're never afraid to yeah. be innovative and to, and to take chances. Uh, as an example, the new golden ticket races, which I talked about in one of my recent podcasts, I think was yep. a really great innovation for them. But we don't have a mass participation event that are a dime a dozen in Europe and that are exploding elsewhere in the world, South America, Asia, although, mm. you know, China's outlawed the sport of ultra racing <laughs> for now. And hopefully that changes because I think that market is going to continue to explode. Um, but I think just to be more specific, the sport will be a lot bigger people when you tell them that you run ultras won't look at you like you're crazy in 2029 it'll be uh similar to you know, doing a big city marathon or an ironman or something like that it's just an endurance pursuit for people who are high achieving curious individuals who want to push themselves and i think also in this vein ultra running is going to take huge market share from Ironman from mm. obstacle course racing, uh, maybe even from road cycling. I think it's a more approachable sport. It's got a better culture than these other sports. It speaks to an, uh, a curiosity of the human spirit of what people can achieve. Uh, it brings you more connected to nature and to a welcoming, loving community. And all these things I think are so compelling and attractive to the human spirit. It's just a matter of telling the story correctly. And so that's what I'm trying to do with everything I'm doing is tell the story of the sport, preach the gospel of the sport, get in front of people who may spend their free time training for obstacle races or Ironmans or whatever. And when you speak to those people and tell them about trail and ultra running, I think they will listen and they will be an easy sell. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think trail running is set to really thrive in the next 10 years. I guess one of the other things, Finn, sorry, I keep... Oh, no, on no here, <laughs> One of the things that I think is important for us to do, especially here in the U.S., is decouple trail running and ultra running, is to make it... Make it less uh i mean in europe for example it's really easy to jump into sears and all as a recreational non-professional trail runner and have an awesome trail running experience that's only 17 miles right yeah and here in the u.s if you want to race a really cool you know quote-unquote high profile race that's like an elevated experience not just kind of like a local trail race it's going to almost certainly be an ultra marathon, right? At least a 50 K. Yeah. And I think we should focus on trying to get more people who are interested in being fit, who are interested in being in touch with nature, getting them connected with trail running without having them feeling the obligation to run as far as a 50 K. 
which is right now, I think, kind of like the barrier to entry for people in our sport. Awesome. Well, one last thing, uh, keeping your sales and marketing hat on for just a second. Um, how do we get more young people into this sport? So like when we're thinking about kids in high school, kids in college, uh, instead of thinking like, oh, I want to go run track at Oregon or, you know, what have you on the roads, like what's, what, what playbook would you pull from to, to inspire the younger generation? And then also, um, how do we make this sport, uh, more appealing to women, uh, to people of color? Like, yeah, how do we, how do we do all that? So this is something I think about a lot too. Um, it blows my mind that there aren't more post-collegiate cross-country track runners that don't bother with road running. Like having watched or track racing, having watched the Olympics, I'm just like, this is boring. This is not cool. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool as a sports fan to like, to know what these athletes have gone through and sacrificed to get to the Olympics and it should be celebrated. But when you compare it to a, a, a incredible trail race on a beautiful course with high competition, it does not hold a candle to our sport. Yeah. And you know, this is obviously my personal opinion, but I don't get it. I honestly don't get why a post-collegiate track runner wouldn't want to come into our sport where there are opportunities to make money. Uh, I mean, it's, it should go without saying, but a lot of the quote unquote professional road and track runners, I mean, they're definitely not getting rich either. Right. And it's probably easier for somebody with talent to come into trail running and get a, a contract that would make a difference in their life than it is to go into road and track running and doing the same. And, and be, be a first mover before this sport gets bigger. Cause yeah. when you move early, the benefits are outsized. Yeah. So I, I just don't get it. I, that's one of the things that maybe will happen. Maybe it won't. Obviously road running is a much bigger industry. It provides a lot of the finances for brands like Nike and Adidas and Hoka to then put into R and D for trail product. And without road running it, uh, there wouldn't be as much, uh, yeah, flexibility from those brands to invest in to trail running. So it is good, at least indirectly, that those sports thrive and that people want to do them. But in my opinion, it's just not nearly as cool. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, so that's one of the things is- We get uh, that narrative out there. Yeah, is just kind of get the narrative out there. And then, yeah, I think that will bring younger people into the sport. Uh, and again, I think decoupling trail running from ultra running might help with this as well uh, so that they don't feel like they need to come in and lose every ounce of speed they ever had to run a hundred miler, but instead give them an opportunity to do mountain running or, you know, vertical kilometers or trail half marathons, things like that. I think that would make for really exciting, compelling racing and would help the entire ecosystem of trail running and also the outdoor industry in general, because it would get a lot more people outside and experiencing outdoor sport and the power of being in nature. Um, and then with the women participation, this is also something that's going to be really important, I think, in the next generation for trail running. And I think to this point, 
it's all it's been sort of like a 75 25 participation ratio male to female for a long time now and obviously a lot of brands have put a lot of investment into telling the story of female athletes and use their platforms to encourage further female participation and i think with more investment like that we can expect to see the female side of the sport growing and obviously our new podcast trail society is attempting to elevate that conversation as well to use the leadership of Keelan mm. Corinne and Hillary as ambassadors, uh, to, uh, preach the gospel of, yeah, both the, the performance side of things to educate women about how they can be successful in the sport, what sort of challenges they might confront to democratize information about, um, you know, things that they might have to consider that are unique from the experiences of you and I, and also just to have role models to look up to of, Hey, these are normal people, even though they're incredibly talented and really smart, like they're, they're normal people. And so again, I think making the sport more approachable from that perspective, um, when they can talk about motherhood and talk about the, the discrepancy in expectations between female athletes and male athletes and the pressure to look good and look a certain way that, you know, I've never, I've never felt that pressure. Right. I think that's going to be really important is just having open conversation. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we're trying to do with, with trail society. And then obviously mm. the diversity thing is it's, I think a, a, a more complicated um, task that we should all be thinking about uh, bringing more, uh, diversity into trail running, which is admittedly a very white sport right. at this right. point. Um, but trail running is the most welcoming sport in the world. And I think, you know, if, again, if we tell the story in the right way, I think any person of any background, any race, any cultural, right. um, upbringing, we'll feel at home in our sport and we'll be welcome with open arms. Awesome. Well, I promised early on in the episode that we would get back to this talking point and then we can do a lightning round. Um, you're a change maker in this sport. You have a vision for how it can be better, but I think anytime anyone thinks that they're, you know, inevitably met with some sort of resistance and that does exist in the culture of ultra running. How do you grapple with kind of going up against the status quo um, what message do you have to people similar to you that, you know, see what exists out there, appreciate it for what it is, but obviously want to, um, move forward with some sort of change. So I think we live in an age where being loud and angry on the internet is, uh, unfortunately very common and, in our sport, it's no different. And I can think of examples in the last few years where something new came about and hmm. people just lost their minds about it. And it ended up being something positive for the sport. For example, you know, when the North face 50 announced that they were going to be moving the finish line across the golden gate bridge and down into Chrissy field in San Francisco, 
there was a huge group of people who were very loudly critical of this move because they had to run two or three road miles at the end of the race. (laughs) Instead of being like, wow, what a cool visionary thing. I get to run across this iconic Golden Gate Bridge after running 45 beautiful miles in the Marin Headlands. I get to run across one of the most incredible pieces of human engineering that's ever been constructed, an iconic piece of American culture, and finishing Chrissy Field in San Francisco, one of the great cities in America. It's just like, come on, guys. Like, why do you have to complain about that? They're trying to do something new and different and cool. And I think anybody who ran the race with the old course, the old finish line, and then did the race with the new course and the new finish line would agree. It's freaking cool to run across the Golden Gate Bridge at the end of an ultra and finish the race. Unfortunately, the race doesn't exist anymore. That's another frustration, but we can talk about that some other time. That could be the spot for the American UTMB maybe. Exactly, exactly. Um, And then similarly, like with UTMB, with this Ironman partnership, obviously people went crazy about it. This is a money grab. This is the end of the sport without thinking like, wow, this is an acknowledgement from one of the biggest event corporations in the world that our sport is worth it, is worth investing in. Like this is a huge signal of the fact that we are special and that we're onto something. And with the new architecture of the organization and how they're going to be making it, I think, uh, yeah, more consolidated, more organized and more professional. It's a positive thing, in my opinion, for the future of the sport. And then you have brands coming out. For example, there's this new footwear brand who they're going to be, it's based here in Portland, Oregon called Speedland. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but the shoes are going to be, $375. And of course, our sport is very, you know, grassroots and oftentimes, well, it's, it's a low budget sport. You know, if you compare it to cycling or triathlon or, you know, really any other sport, all you need is a pair of shoes and maybe a pack and you can do it. But it's like, you know, why, why do you need to be critical of, well, of course. So I guess I should say there's been a lot of people who've been really critical of like, you know, $375 for a pair of shoes. It's like, well, yeah, well then don't buy them, but they're yeah, vote with your dollars. Yeah. They, they, they're trying, they're doing something new and different. Like why be, why go out of your way to be a negative jerk about it? You know, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Um, and so this is, I think just something that's natural in the internet age mm. and that, uh, we have to go out of our way to just ignore and um, celebrate the people who are trying things. I think this is important. I think, you know, as long as their values are in the right place, that their intentions are in the right place, that they're not like doing anything to damage the reputation and the culture of the sport, Mm. then, you know, let them try, let them try. And it's up to us to hold each other accountable. And if, it gets to a point where it's clear that things are going in the wrong direction, that we are damaging the things that we hold so sacred in the sport, then yeah, then, then we're critical and then we course correct and we do something else. 
But I think there is a lack of innovation in the sport right now. And that's why I think there's a ton of opportunity in the sport right now for people who are thinking differently and thinking in an innovative way. As long as you can ignore people who will be loud on the internet and critical of what you're trying to do, you can find a lot of opportunity in the sport as we move into the next generation. So it's, uh, yeah, you can tell I'm sort of, I, I get very frustrated with social media and with the state of the internet as it stands today. And it's a shame that oftentimes it bleeds into our sport, which is such a welcoming, uh, loving and accepting sport. Um, and so, yeah, my, my hope is that we can, we can celebrate people who try things rather than be critical of them. Amen. So I am still wordsmithing the name for this, but uh, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. Okay. You're still competing at an incredibly high level right now, as we talked about. How much longer do you want to compete as an elite ultra runner? As long as I possibly can, bro. <laughs> how, far, how, how much longer do you think you can? I mean, I think when I'm 40, I will have been through my prime prime for sure. I think okay. I'm closer to the end of my prime than I end of the beginning, if that makes sense. Still but, putting up um, great performances. Though, yeah, my, 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 my hope is that, yeah, I can still enjoy the sport, still do things every year that are that give me the same sense of fun and adventure and challenge. And so my, my hope is that I'm still running ultras at 60. But yeah, I think my, my best years will probably be behind me in the next five years. Okay. Uh, second question, you have to put five faces on the Mount Rushmore of mountain ultra trail running, not necessarily for their athleticism, but for their overall contribution to growing the sport in the past couple of decades. Um, who are they? Killian Jornet, Francois Dane, no brainers. Okay. Jim Walmsley, I think is in that category already. Okay. And will only continue to be, to solidify himself on. Mount Rushmore. That's three men. I think that's fair. Okay. I mean, it leaves out a lot of people, obviously. This could be a great dinner table debate right here. Totally. <laughs> um, on the women's side, obviously, Ann Trayson's got to be in the conversation. Okay. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe somebody like Lizzie Hawker, who's five-time UTMB champ, who also won world 100k world 24 hour who can run on the roads she's she's one of the greats okay that's that's five off the top of my head leaving out some obvious names like scott jurek and i mean if we're talking about impact on a sport impact anton, impact anton krupichka too like <laughs> obviously he was great in his day but he's still an iconic figure in the sport who single-handedly inspired an entire generation myself included to come into the sport um he's great obviously ellie greenwood rory bozio um two incredible champions on the women's side courtney dewalter is already in that conversation yeah. for sure yeah um yeah the, again there's so many people who i've been inspired by i mean jeff rose timothy olsen um dave mackey mm. I mean, there's, there's so many great athletes in our sport who also happen to be interesting, compelling, normal human beings. Um, and so again, that's one of my 
missions in life is to help tell the story of these athletes. Right on. What's the most recent bit of wisdom that you've come across that resonated with you that you want to share with the audience? The first thing that comes to mind, well, actually, so I heard something today. I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote. It's in line with our conversation about being innovative and trying things. Something to the effect of, when everybody is running towards a cliff, the person who's running in the opposite direction appears like they've lost their mind. <laughs> so in other words, the people who are trying to innovate may appear like they're crazy, but yeah, so oftentimes they are then proven to be right or through trying things and failing and iterating they end up with a spectacular success. So I, I like that one. I love it too. And I got to share one that came to mind for me, which is kind of similar. If you ever find yourself in the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. <laughs> I think that's Mark Twain. Yeah. Um, okay. So this last little bit, it's just called looking for recommendations. What book are you reading right now? I'm reading a book called, this is not a t-shirt Whoa. Uh, by, um, the founder of the hundreds, his name's Bobby. I think his last name is Kim. Everybody call, just calls him Bobby hundreds. Okay. Hundreds is a streetwear brand. So a LA based sort of fashion brand. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, a, I've been reading a lot about entrepreneurship and, yeah. um, business, business management, things like that. In fact, I freaking love these types of books because I think there's such an overlap with being an athlete as well. And I feel like I learned so much. So that, that's what I'm reading now. This is not a t-shirt. So it's just all about his, it's like a memoir of his, of building a company and being, because he's a creative person too, like an artist, uh, somebody who entrepreneurship didn't necessarily come naturally to, which is certainly mm. how I feel. So mm. it's, a, it's a fun read. What's the best movie or TV show you watched recently? Honestly, I haven't watched anything. I watched Shit's Creek last year in the pandemic <laughs> with my wife and absolutely loved it. I need to start watching Ted Lasso because everybody recommends it to me and I know that I would love it. But I really don't watch hardly any TV. We don't really do Netflix at all at our house. I hated the Olympics. I thought it was awful. <laughs> the worst Olympics ever in terms of viewer experience. Yeah. Um, yeah and, you know, but I one of the things I am watching a lot right now um as a peacock subscriber is mm -hmm. uh the new premier lacrosse league in is that uh, paul rabiel paul paul rabel yes yeah. who's a huge inspiration of mine oh and you should have him on pillars i dude i he is literally if i could have a have one person on the show it would be him he has a great uh, business mind too a hundred percent i am so inspired by what he's built with the premier lacrosse league it's a great product the game of lacrosse i think like trail running is primed to be uh very successful in the next 10 20 years and with us talk about somebody who's a visionary innovative leader in his sport paul rabel is an incredible person who's putting pushing the sport of lacrosse into the next generation i think that's and, the uh, and so hey, I've been watching, I've just been watching a lot of lacrosse games, a lot of pro lacrosse games. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. I think that's a perfect place to put a pin in it. 
uh, Dylan, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm looking at like 20 more questions here, but maybe we'll do a round two at some point. Uh, where can people find you? Where do you want to point people to? Yeah. So many places, man. Yeah. I'm on, uh, Instagram and Twitter. That's basically the social media that I use. My handle on both platforms is Dylan bow D Y L A N B O. As we talked about, I run uh, pillars P Y L L A R S. Uh, we have an app in the both Android and iOS app stores. If you're a trail runner and interested in getting some help in your training or being part of a community, you can listen to my podcast, the pillars podcast, which you can find on all podcasting platforms. I'm on Strava. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And, uh, we thank you for your time. Thanks fans. Super fun. Okay, that's a wrap. What do you think? Again, I think Dylan is someone to admire because his mission is so well-defined and he has so much conviction about the path he's on. There are a couple themes from this conversation that I want you to think about more and I just want to leave you with. The first is his request to celebrate people who try things instead of being adversarial and critical by default. And I couldn't agree more. We shouldn't try to suppress creators. It's hard enough to invest the time, energy, and resources to put yourself out there and build something for the community. So let's make their life easier, not harder. Um, we need them. If you think about any community across space and time, across civilization, these are the people that uh, move the group forward. So let's just create a hospitable environment. Second, his message to make the sport more approachable to democratize information and in general to create a better narrative so that we can preach the gospel to sport and bring more people in from the general public. We all know this becomes a lifestyle and an obsession very quickly, as he said, and it just comes down to telling a better story if we feel compelled to bring more people in. So that's going to be key in moving this to the next level. Other than that, there are a couple topics I wish we had dug more into. And honestly, it's on me improving as an interviewer to dig into these threads and follow up as opposed to kind of just looking at the script and moving us on to the next topic. But yeah, there's a couple things I wish we had dug more into. The first is his thoughts on the UTMB World Series and the structure for it, what it's going to look like in the ensuing months, years, decades. I'm really excited on that because as he mentioned, it's really going to do a good job at consolidating competition as well as bringing all of these various events, 50Ks, 100Ks, 100 miles, mountain versus road into just a more uh, understandable tent. Number two, his belief that uh, elite athletes can compete at a higher level more often in this sport than in other running events like marathon, for example. Um, he used the Tour de France and mountain biking and surfing as other examples of this possibility and how he thinks that this sport fits in line more with the um, opportunities for you know, more frequent competition. That was interesting because, again, my, my thoughts were one to two a year, kind of like road marathoning. He did, I think, ultimately see a similar um, reality there, but he said up to five or six, especially if you think about versatility and, you know, not necessarily, you know, 
quadrupling down on hundred milers every year, but adding 50 mile and 50 K events into the mix. So that was interesting. And I wish we had talked about that more. Third was his thoughts on how, as you age in the sport and gather more experience, those intangibles around, you know, grit, um, grit and discipline and just overall toughness become a factor in your success. So it's actually a way for people in their late thirties, forties, fifties to remain competitive. And he thinks it's going to stay that way. I, you know, I agree. I see that trend in other sports, but I do wish we had talked about that more. Fourth, this might've been the most interesting to me. And it was his concern that a lot of the growth in this sport in the next decade is going to come outside of America for two reasons. The first is that uh, we are constrained here from an event planning standpoint. We just can't host uh, high profile events with thousands of runners in the same way that Europe can or Asia can. And also that we have not done a good job yet of decoupling trail running from ultra running. And this is something I had not thought of prior to the conversation, but it is interesting because, you know, he basically says, look, if you want to have this elevated special, you know, back to land wilderness experience, you essentially have to enter into a 50 K at a minimum to have it. And in Europe, by contrast, you can just go to a race like Sierra's and all, which is, you know, a 17 mile race and you can have it. So trail running there is just from an event standpoint is just so much more accessible in Europe and elsewhere. So those might be our two constraints and how we overcome that is going to be interesting. I wish we had dug into that more. And then finally, number five, just how hard it is to be a pro athlete to make it and how you essentially have to be pro in another area of life to sustain it. Um, you know, he talks about how it just reaffirms how you know heroic their feats are and how much lifestyle and philosophical value they provide to society. And I couldn't agree more. And that would have been a really good thread to pull on. So I think uh, what we're looking at is just a, a round two, having him back on the podcast to talk about some of these things a little bit um, more in depth. Um, some of his predictions were interesting too. So his belief that a decade from now, ultra marathoning will be as commonplace and um, as, ro as road marathoning. And there will be as much awareness and just understanding and appreciation, which is cool. And then also that it's just going to take over more market share over time uh, than other similar endurance sports, simply because it's, it's more approachable. It has better cultural foundations and it speaks to that human curiosity around potential in nature um, better. So um, yeah, I agree. I think as long as we tell a better story, we construct that uh, narrative that can bring more of the general public in. I agree that this is going to transpire. So interesting predictions. In terms of what's next for the show, we have Grayson Murphy on the pod next week. Grayson is somebody who has found success at the very highest levels of both road running and trail running and track and field for that matter. And she's built a really uh, impressive brand around uh, her athleticism as well as business. And I, I can't wait to dig into that. She also just thinks in really interesting ways about the future of all of these sports too. So she'll be on the pod. We also have Chase Parnell from Treeline Journal. I'm really excited to talk with Chase. I think that what he's building at Treeline Journal could be uh, either the next I Run Far of the 2020s or just an awesome compliment if I Run Far continues to do what they do. Uh, I love his writing and I love the way he thinks about the sport. So he'll be on as well. Um, I am going to do my best to get those out as well uh, next week. I'm recording this um, in mid-August, but I am heading out to Chamonix, France uh, soon to go race CCC. Um, 
So I may be constrained at the latest, they'll come out in early September, but I will say, um, this feel, this feels like a part of my life's work. And it's such a joy to produce this content and to have these conversations on your behalf and on the community's behalf. So, um, this feels like play to me and just something that, that flows so naturally. So, um, if you enjoyed this and you think others would too, it would mean everything to me if you simply subscribe on whatever podcast player you use and to share this with people in your life that might also enjoy it as well. Um, let's make this community more interconnected. Uh, that's all I ask. So until next time, I am your host, Finn Melanson, and this is The Single Track.